You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I don't think this up move is going to be incremental. Uh, we've used the word chaos theory, which we respect. We think it's going to get irrational. The incremental move in gold that we've seen for the last couple of years, meaning layered, uh, we think is going to change. And I think probably at that 1950 level is when you get there, it's telling you, okay, I'm about to change my temper and tone, and it's going to be more accelerated. And of course, at that point in time, silver, which is now outperforming gold, as of last summer, not just in price, it went up, but on its spread measured versus gold, it broke out. So it's back in a bull position in terms of relative performance. And I would say this is probably true with silver stocks as well versus gold stocks. Uh, we think silver is going to go back to its $50 high. It ain't going to stop there. I'm Bill Powers. This is Mining Stock Education. And my guest today is Michael Oliver of Momentum Structural Analysis. He's a returning guest. We spoke with Michael back in February very well-respected uh, analyst, looking not just at price when he looks at charts, but momentum. Where's the money flow? And uh, where the share price is going from a mom momentum perspective. And if you're not familiar with his approach, go back and listen to that last interview. I'll link to it above my head on YouTube or in the show notes if you're listening in audio form only. Michael said that within the next two years, there's a high probability he expects to see gold at eight to $9,000 and silver at $200. And I can tell you from observing his work for several years, he doesn't just say that for a click bite and for sensational purposes, but he brings decades of experience into that analysis. So Michael, thank you for coming back on the program. How about you give us your near-term commentary on where the gold price is? It's obviously not at $8,000, but where are we at today? Well, we think the March low was, quote, it. And two weeks off that low, we said that was it. Okay, meaning the end of the what really can be measured is an intermediate downtrend from the August highs of last year. Uh, we turned up, shot up from 1670 to 1910. And uh, we happen to think that 1950, by the way, is a very explosive number of seen again, and we think we'll be seeing again. Now, that's not the old high. The old high was 2070 back in August, but 1950 is a level that if, if you achieve it again on gold, spot front month contract, uh, assume that uh, there's going to be a change in tone in gold going forward uh, on, in terms of the upside dynamics. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but the upturn from the March low was interesting because in a quieter way, the other alternative market to the stock market as perceived by very large asset managers. Uh, Ray Dalio, for example, uh, has said recently, don't be so concerned about the price of your stock, consider the value of your money, meaning the degradation of the money unit. He sounds like a gold bug. Well, guys like him who've been around a while, they see two alternatives out there. When you distrust the stock market, and a lot of them do, you know, on a gut experience level, this has been too long, too much up, too much Fed support therefore overpricing. So when they shift, they shift into T-bonds, meaning they buy bonds, yields go down, which seems confusing to many investors now. How could yields be going down if, uh, you know, if, if commodity prices are rising, inflation's here? But they are. Notice the T-bonds have rallied off the March low, just like gold. So they both turned up on a near-term basis, but in the process of that upturn, in our weekend report, for example, we have some charts on this, they actually broke momentum downtrends that were clearly evident on the longer term momentum charts that were in effect since that August high. In other words, as the price went down, so did the momentum readings. But that upturn in early May 
in the mid 1700s, about 80 bucks off that March, that March low, broke momentum back out to the upside again, meaning, okay, the corrective process is over. We're now got a zigzag bias that's going to be back to the upside. So our near-term view is, yes, the turn we saw in May, despite the recent news headline sell-off, was a positive turn. And it's highly likely that that, ape, that March low was it. And now the issue is the zigzag process upside. And the key factor that's driving the gold price in the near term, would it be Fed policy or would it be how the general equities are performing? I think right now our view is you've got to look at the four major asset categories and view them as like icebergs that bump into each other. Okay, they impact each other, some coincidentally, some inversely. And our view is that right now, the T-bonds and long-term government debt is viewed as a safe alternative to the stock market, just like gold is. And so it's not a coincidence that T-bonds made their price lows in March, their high in yields, recent high in yields. At the same time, gold bottomed. The gold had a stronger surge out of that hole, but T-bonds are now catching up. And we think there's more to go in both on the upside now. Now, at some point later this year, the issue of interest rates will come back, meaning rates will rise. I'm talking free market rates, not what the Fed wants, okay, like T-bonds, which is basically out of their control. It's too long term for them to manipulate. Right now, I think T-bonds are going up, dropping in rates simply because asset managers are moving money to a safer place. Just caution. Uh, cash equivalent, if you want. They're certainly not buying T-bonds for the yields, okay? <laughs> uh, but you've got to watch the stock market because that's one that's not being discussed much. And it, it's it's obvious because if you're a bear or would be bear in the stock market, which we are, but we haven't pulled the trigger yet, um, you're numb. If you've tried to short the market, every time you short it, it goes down a percent, two, three, four percent. And next thing you know, it's back making a new marginal high and creeping along some more. So it just numbs you. Now, if you're a bull, you're totally numb to the other possibility. In other words, every time it dips, you know it's a buy, right? It, it's going to go forever, forever bulls. So either side of the equation, it's pretty much a given. The stock market's going to go up forever. Plus, the Fed, quote, has their back. Well, history shows that when the Fed has your back, fine. If the investor crowd prefers the same category that the Fed does. So at the, the 2009 low, the S&P was in the 600s. Two, a year and a half earlier, it had been in the 1500s. So investors plowed money back into the stock market, and they were right because it was vastly oversold. And so Fed policy at that point did work because it was a cheap asset category. So investor flow went where the Fed wanted it to go, into the stock market. Now it's persisted for a dozen years. And lately, they put you know the, the pedal to the floor uh, in terms of monetary growth. There's a point at which in any bull market, whether it's the 2000 top, the 2007 top, where the Fed policy doesn't matter anymore. The investor says, I've had enough. So despite Fed support during the 2007-2009 bear market, and from the 2000 to 2002 bear market low, despite Fed policy trying to prevent that, it didn't work. And investors need to remember that. I think we're at the same point now, except more dramatic. As you can see, the S&P chart is just on NASDAQ is even worse on the upside. If they turn down, they will turn down in a more serious percentage way over the longer haul than they did then. Uh, but right now, the issue is to break the stock market, at least some credible breakage that we can define. And we've defined some in the weekend report that are likely to be triggered early on in this new quarter, which starts on Thursday. 
Um, and we provide some numbers and, and maybe look at the charts later, whatever. But the, the point being that that would be the surprise that helps gold the most, because think about it. Any fear of Fed taper in 2022 or whatever is going to go out the window if that asset category becomes a psychological risk factor for the Fed and for the investment public and for the average American who, you know, it's not just the one percenters in the stock market. There's a lot of average guys who work in a factory, been there for 20 years and know that when the stock market goes down, they could get laid off. And so it will affect their spending habits. And the Fed knows this. So they must defend the stock market. So if the stock market turns down, that means it's all green for gold in terms of the Fed not being a threat. Instead, the Fed's going to be continuing to feed the engine. Kryptonite was Superman's weakness. Is there a kryptonite to gold, though? Even with the scenario you laid out, could there be an assumption you get wrong? And what would be the kryptonite that would really crush gold's prospects here? We could always imagine being wrong. We, On the large trend pictures, we're usually not. It might be an issue of uh, you know, timing a little bit or something like that. But generally, when the trend picture gets so clear on a momentum chart, long-term momentum talking, not the week-to-week stuff, uh, generally when it turns, it turns. Uh, and I, I think right now, if there were kryptonite, let's say we're going to into a deflationary collapse around the world, okay? Well, consider that the central banks are afraid of that and they're, they're doing something they've never done before in terms of quantity and acceleration of money growth. So that fights against that. But even that could fail, let's say. Well, you know, if gold collapses, what does that mean? Well, gold's not going to go into a deflation unless assets everywhere are going into deflation. Okay, stock market will join. If we're going into a massive global deflation, that stock market's going back down. Well, what's the Fed going to do then? Okay, they're going to get even crazier. Okay, so, you know, it, I, I, it's hard for me to fit together a fundamental deflation outlook view that would take gold down and take stocks back. You know, it doesn't make sense. Uh, we're at a point now of drama that we've never seen in probably in the last 200 years in terms of, you know, all through the 1900s now, since the Fed was created, we've never seen anything like this in terms of a problem they think they can deal with, but they're not going to be able to because it's going to hit them in so many ways. Uh, and another variable is the dollar. You know, right now you get cut some upticks in the dollar for the last month or two. But if you stand back and look at a dollar index chart, just a price chart, you can go to your quote screen and type it in. Go back uh, to 2009, back 10, 12 years. You'll see that there were two major peaks around 89 on the price chart of dollar index. We're talking about cash index. We broke through that in 2015, went up to 103. Then we went into a trading range from actually from 2015 through the present, where the range has been of 12% range from top to bottom, 12%. That's it. That's how narrow it's been for six years now. The bottom end of that range is roughly around 89, which is where? On top of the two highs that occurred back in 2009, 2010, I think it was. So we made a low in 2017, around 89 area, made a low early this year in the 89s. We recently revisited into the 89s. Right now we're 91 and change. If you slip there, so our view right now, if you slip the dollar index down to 90, not even 89, but just back down to 90, that it's not going to hold this time. The price guys are finally going to give up. Long-term momentum on the dollar turned down in 2017 at a price of 99. And it's been laying in a range 
mostly below that level since, trying to hold this price level. So here's another asset category that's extremely quiet, dollar and the euro, which is 57% of the dollar. Very narrow range for six years. Narrow is probably in dollar index history in terms of percentage. If that dollar wakes up, meaning weight goes down, you go back down to 90 again, we think it's going to drop sharply into the 80s. Well, that's going to cause a whole nother iceberg to start moving. What do you think that's going to do for commodities and gold? Okay. It's going to... Basically, it's going to have every argument you want to have, it's going to have in its favor. But two of those arguments right now aren't in the debate scheme. See, most people are sleepy about the dollar. They think, oh, it's holding support. It's uptick. See, well, big deal, a percent and a half off the recent lows. Uh, and, and when you look at the S&P, everybody's asleep on that issue as well. So it's those two issues, those two quiet ones, you can call them, that when they wake up, watch out, because they're going to have massive wave impact on one any Fed policy changes, which aren't going to occur if the stock market becomes you know, a, a victim and a factor, uh, in which case gold has basically got green lights. So I, I think that there's a lot of false interpretation about Fed policy right now and its likely direction. I don't think it's going to change because two big factors are going to affect it. One, especially the stock market. Gold Terra Resource Corp. is a gold exploration company that has assembled a highly prospective district-scale land position on the doorstep of the city of Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Gold Terra is currently focused on expanding and delineating gold resources at the company's Yellowknife City Gold Project, with the goal of discovering over 5 million ounces. With ready access to infrastructure and multiple high-grade gold discoveries, Gold Terra is on track to re-establishing Yellowknife as one of the premier gold mining districts in Canada. Gold Terra trades as YGT in Toronto and YGTFF on the OTC. For more information, go to goldterracorp.com. That's goldterracorp.com. So if I could just uh, ask one clarifying question, based on your experience and the setup you see here now, the outlook for gold, is this the best that you've seen in your career? Yeah, I don't think this up move is going to be incremental. Uh, we've used the word chaos theory, which we respect. Uh, and and what, that, what that argues is we think that the size of these asset categories and the extreme position that they're in, particularly the stock market in terms of overpricing for so long. And gold is only back to where it was in 2011. Okay, so it's really not, you know, excessive. And silver certainly isn't back where it was in 2011, you know, 50 bucks for the second time in its history. Uh, both have a lot of room to go up just on that basis. If you put them on logarithmic charts going back 20, 30 years, you see the potential. It's just vast above you. Uh, in fact, that $9,000 area on gold is, is simply uh, a, an analysis of the price chart going back logarithmically now, ratio scaled. It says, hey, you know, you're breaking out into the upper part of the channel. You go to channel top now, you're talking something, you know, approaching 10,000 just to get to the old channel top. Uh, and silver is a different story. Silver, as we know, if you're in the gold silver markets, the mining stocks particularly, underperformed gold vastly starting in 2011. It collapsed on a percent basis more than gold. Well, last summer, when silver was mostly trading prior to last summer, below 20 bucks. There were a couple of highs, I think, that got up near 20, and there was one back in, I think, 2015 or 16, they got to 21. So they were sort of irregular, but basically anywhere around 20 was an upper end. 
Well, last July, when they got to $19.48 on the front month future, we broke out on an annual momentum oscillator that we keep through a very flat range that went back to 2013. And so we pegged that as a breakout level. This is what I mean by chaos theory. Within three weeks, silver rose 50%. 50% in three weeks when it crossed that hurdle in 1948, it went to like just short of 30. It changed its tone like that. And uh, we expect gold, which has not done that. If you'll actually objectively look at the price chart of gold, let's say since going back years, but especially since 2011 through the drop in 2015 and then the upside, it's been a layered advance with, yeah, a couple hundred bucks drop here, there. In fact, the recent drop, which was a total of 20%, took them nine months to shed 20%. That's how slow it was. You've seen those kind of drops since the 2015 low many times, and they don't ultimately turn into anything but a corrective drop. But the tonal action of gold has been the same since that low. It was a secondary low in 2018 at 1164, so almost got back to the low then. But starting from the late 2018 low, it's been a, a nice jagged upside, but not really explosive at all. Uh, more incremental, what you call a rational trend. We think it's going to get irrational, meaning the people who've doubted gold, even the bulls who've doubted gold over the last few years, uh, who didn't get long in a good place, let's say, you know, like 1100s, which was an optimal place where we broke out on annual momentum. Uh, they're vulnerable and they sense fear all the time. Well, think about that psychology for a minute. Look at the S&P 500 since 2009 low on its long-term, let's say, monthly price chart and circle the times where you could find a, oh, a 20% drop or so. You'll find quite a few of them. Uh, like in late 2018, between October and December of 2018, actually a two and a half month period, it dropped 20.5%. Nobody screamed, pulled their hair out, said it's all over. It took them nine months to give up 20% on gold. That's how hard it was for the bears to make money. And in a matter of weeks in May, you were back up into the 1900s again. So, yeah, you know, put yourself in the bear position in gold. But anyway, the incremental move in gold that we've seen for the last couple of years, meaning layered, uh, we think is going to change. And I think probably at that 1950 level is when you get there, it's telling you, OK, I'm about to change my temper and tone and it's going to be more accelerated. And of course, at that point in time, silver, which is now outperforming gold as of last summer, not just in price, it went up, but on its spread measured versus gold, it broke out. So it's back in a bull position terms of relative performance. And I would say this is probably true with silver stocks as well versus gold stocks. Uh, we think silver is going to go back to its $50 high and ain't going to stop there. Put it in perspective, silver was at 50 in 1980. It was at 50 in 2011. If it goes back there again, look at what gold did between those years. Every time it went up to an old high, it took it out vastly. Silver didn't. So silver is really compressed. And if you ever go back to 50 again, which we think it will, probably within the next year, maybe less, at that point going forward, you could see even more accelerated move out of silver in terms of price gain over time. And $28 silver, if I understand what you've taught, that's your price point you're looking at, right? Right now, if you were microanalyzing silver, let's say just looking back to last year, you'll see instead of like gold, where we had a 20% decline, silver's lowest pullback low occurred about six weeks after its August high occurred in September at $22, okay? Then it shot back up again. It basically has lived more in the upper half of a rectangle 
since the August high, which is just short of 30. We got over 28 on a weekly closes uh, four, three, four, five weeks ago before the Fed comments. You know, we were 28 and change. You go back and close over 28 one more time. No, that doesn't take out those highs. It doesn't take out the August high, which is 29.90. Doesn't take out the other spike brief high that got over 30. But you get over 28 again on a weekly close. We think silver is going to launch out of this range again. So that's the number we'd be watching, just like gold at 19.50. That's not a new price high. Uh, there were two rally highs, the post-election high after Biden won. They bought gold, took it up to 1960. And in January this year, took it up to 1960. So we think just getting back even to 1950 now is likely to launch, forgetting you know, where the old highs were last summer. So those two markets are to be watched on their own, but also you need to watch that stock market because if it suddenly becomes a market variable, it's going to surprise many people, uh, and including the Fed. And so any debate about Fed policy is just you just throw it out the window because there's a whole new game afoot. Michael, you study commodities, the whole con- the whole um, sphere of commodities and specific commodities. For example, last time on the show, you told me to keep an eye on coffee, which I thought was interesting. Um, do you think it's Fed policy that has driven commodities prices the last year or is it more the fundamental supply demand dynamics of what's occurring in the macro Global well, that's what Powell would like you to think that it's a supply demand shortage because of, you know, inaccessibility to the lumber and stuff like that. You know, lumber was a peculiar event, by the way. It, it, it Yes, it exploded like commodities, but it actually did it beforehand. And it was for a unique reason. And I argue the reason is more social and political, not so much fundamentally. It was in a sense because you had a, a lumber shortage back in early 2020 because it wasn't good demand. So they weren't producing as much. So they were in, in line, but it was at low levels. So suddenly you have a demand for lumber last spring that came from what? Well, the monetary policy at that point really wasn't the factor. It was due to the large wealthy folks who lived in big cities perceived as uncomfortable. You know, the wife comes home, the husband's the CEO of a company, and she says, I just don't feel safe and comfortable. I saw something today, that kind of thing. And these folks started moving, you know, very rapidly out of the major metropolitan areas to Florida or Colorado or to Montana or all kinds of places. Suddenly you had booms. They looked first in the suburbs around the big cities, but they found that the suburb supplied uh, rate of housing was pretty tight. So they said, oh, heck with it. We just go out and build one. So you said this sudden demand on a percentage basis for lumber by people who didn't care about the price of lumber. You know, it would just get the house built issue. That was it. Uh, and that caused a jolt in the lumber market in terms of supply demand metrics. And so it exploded from, you know, four or five hundred bucks. It's normal price to seventeen hundred. Well, several weeks ago when it was seventeen hundred, we did put out a report. We haven't put out a lumber report in a year. And we said, you're looking at the top. Now, I didn't know it'd be seven hundred within a month. We're trading in the seven hundreds now. Lumber's collapsed. You won't see that high again. It had a peculiar situation, but other commodities are different. If you'll go back, we, we turned bullish on the Bloomberg Commodity Index, both on a quarterly momentum basis and annual late last year. And it broke out on very long-term basis that it built that you could see more on momentum than on price. And therefore, when you build a base that's five and six years wide, technically speaking, you know, the bigger the base, the bigger the building and break out and surge a nice percent. But, you know, not not back to historic highs or anything. And then you pull back some. That's not the end of it. 
you know, if it had been a one-year base, that's different than it's a trading situation. It was a six-year wide base from 2015 through most of 2021, before you about 2020, excuse me. They all exploded in unison. Copper, soybeans, corn, wheat, sugar, you, you name it. They all pretty much within a month or so of one another broke out on long-term momentum charts. That's too coincidental to be specific fundamentals to each given market. So yes, we were living with low prices in most commodities for a long time. Therefore, they were priced out. They weren't going to go any lower. Just an issue of when were they going to turn up? The Fed created the fundamentals for the upturn. And asset managers perceive this. Because commodities used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, a fairly rare thing for investors to look at. Late 70s, it was very experimental for investors and asset managers to get to put money into commodity arena. Now it's they know about it. They're comfortable with it. And if they don't buy the commodities, they buy the stocks related there too, like fertilizer stocks, which have exploded better than grains. Now, the recent pullback, I know Powell's got to be smiling because it does two things for him. One, it takes some pressure off of him because he said, oh, it's temporary. And now it looks like, oh, gee, soybeans just dropped a couple bucks. Uh, copper pulled back 10%. Uh, oil hasn't because oil just broke out over some new things recently, some new annual structures. So it, it probably won't have that kind of pullback. But most commodities did pull have a pullback over the last month or two. But that context of that pullback is a correction within a new long-term uptrend. It's not a, a pullback that makes the top. But for Powell's point of view, it fits with his, his uh, storyline. See, it's all temporary. And so he can proceed forward with his policy and say, see, I told you guys, there was nothing to panic about. So to some extent, that's good for gold, the commodity pullback, because it keeps Powell, keeps his story seeming plausible. And therefore, no, we don't need the taper because inflation is temporary. Now, that pullback in commodities is a buying opportunity if you're not in them or if you're not in, let's say, oil sector stocks or uh, base or mining stocks, for example, in the, in the base metal arena. This pullback is an opportunity, not that it, it couldn't pull back some more, but it's a buying opportunity in an early phase of a new uptrend. Uh, so Powell's wrong in that. We'll, I'll take him on that anytime. But he picked the right one when he picked lumber because it makes him look like a mental giant, you know, because it collapsed so big. And see, he was right. No problems. Anyway. Arcana Silver is on the verge of bringing the world's highest grade silver mine into production. The Revenue Virginius Mine in Colorado has proven and probable silver reserves grading nearly 37 ounces per ton silver, with all-in sustaining production costs of only $8 per ounce of silver. The mine is fully funded and permitted with infrastructure already in place and has announced production will commence in 2021. Achieving successful production should result in a significant upward share price re-rating on the Lassonde curve. Arcana trades under the ticker AU in Toronto, in AUNFF in New York. To learn more, go to arcana.com. That's A-U-R-C-A-N-A.com. What about, you mentioned fertilizer. So we cover with the miners on this show, obviously, mining stock education. You got phosphate miners that have done well. Should someone that's invested in like a phosphate company, should they be paying attention exclusively to the grains just to watch the price movement of the grains? Well, yeah, it, that will affect them, obviously, because they were affected by the upturn in the rates. So uh, when we put out our research reports, we, we cover soybean futures, corn and wheat and so forth. And, but we know that many of our subscribers, a lot of whom are most of whom are asset managers or uh, involved in guiding individuals money like certified financial planners and so forth. But a lot of them are individual investors who just aren't you know, don't have the expertise or, or the knowledge to deal in futures. 
But we looked at things like uh, some of the oil sectors, not the prime one, not XLE, but XOP and OIH, which are oil services and oil gas exploration. And those sectors had been beat off the page even more than oil almost on a percent basis versus where they were, let's say, you know, 2011. They were just decimated. Well, they weren't going to zero. Okay. In fact, we called upturns in them coincident with oil. And oil turned up at 40. We got bullish. Now it's in the 70s. But if you look at those stocks at the same time, those ETFs, they've done far better in terms of percentage gain. So the commodity-related stocks like fertilizer, for example, we we look at Mosaic and and CF Industries. So there's others. You could throw a dart, basically. Uh, They went up more than grains. And yes, they will pull back. If the grains go into a pullback and a congestion, they will too. But we suspect that most of the fertilizer companies, if you find the recent high and circle it and take about 10, 15 percent off that high, that's probably about as far back as you're going to get get a pullback. And at some point within a few months after that pullback, they'll probably start up again. Uh, So, again, it's an intermediate correction in a larger uptrend. So, yeah. But if you don't want to get into futures or ETFs related to the futures, then, you know, consider the stocks that are related to them. Michael, in mining stocks, you can make a lot of profits if you obtain knowledge in a specific niche area that others don't have it. So when it comes to like niche metals like tungsten or vanadium, rare earths, where it's a niche metal with an opaque pricing market, how do you analyze that with using well, your actually, approach? Well, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I, have to, I can be ignorant on that. I've seen some of the charts. My son, Brett, handles a few institutional clients of ours who want weekly reports on these odd metals. Uh, we have one company in uh, Asia which trades Chinese futures markets, and they've got futures markets on metals that we don't have. You know, the, some of the base metals you mentioned and the, the rare met minerals. Uh, so he does that analysis. And I don't. I don't even check it. You know? uh, but I, I do realize they've gone up vertically as well, and so they can suffer a pullback just like soybeans have had or copper having. But again, the context is that's a pullback within a longer term initial upsurge. So you don't break out of a six-year wide base on soybeans or the Bloomberg Commodity Index or gold, even gold. If you just look at its price chart from the 2011 high, you collapsed in early 2013, got down into the 1300s from a you know 1911 high, uh, and you spent 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all those years in a confined base, even on the price chart, basically below 1350 you know, with some ups and downs. So even the price chart exhibits this massive multi-year wide clear base that you broke out of a year ago. You know, you get you get this surge up and, and that's it after a six year wide base. Think again. Uh, yeah, there are going to be reasons to, to doubt the movements because you pay too much attention to the headlines. But uh, headline chasers usually don't win. And we think the recent selling in gold was headline chasers thinking, oh, the Fed's in charge and they're going to they're going to taper, you know. Uh, well, think again. One more question on the economy before you go. Stagflation. I was just uh, spending a week in a vacation area and a lot of the restaurants had a closed down midweek. And when I called them on the recording, it said, due to labor shortages, we have to close down midweek because we don't have enough employees. So we're using the same employees and to give them a day off, we have to close down. Multiple restaurants actually had that. A restaurant by me here in Michigan, they got this huge yellow banner outside saying hiring bonuses 
up to $2,500. I've never seen that at a restaurant before. Wow. Is this wow. just temporary because small business owners are competing with the government that's giving away uh, unemployment paychecks? And will when consumer spending goes down, because as you said, the stock market turns over and fear enters the common man's uh, purchasing uh, you know, decisions, is that what's going to cause potentially stagflation? Or are wages going to rise along with commodity and, you know, the, our everyday costs? Well, the, the virus, of course, is now tapering and ending, at least for us. And you would think, okay, the, the things should get better quickly. But that's a factor that hasn't. And even Powell admitted that. He was clear about that. He says, listen, guys, you know, we've got certain numbers we want to see achieved. And he specifically mentioned unemployment is not near their numbers. And he didn't want to see him just achieve. He wants to see him achieve for a period of time before they consider changing policy. So the people didn't read that in what he said. Uh, the unemployment issue has not been good for them. And yeah, the, the government program, uh, will it end? Well, I'm sure the GOP, which is now a fractured beast, and we suspect in 2022 is going to actually lose, not gain. Uh, there's a reason for that. And that the reason is that the party is now fractured in a way that nobody thought it would be in terms of percentage people who are not Trumpers and who won't show up in 2022, but did show up in 2020. I'd say it's about 25% of the party is just, I'm out, okay? Well, you can't have them out and win the congressional elections. So that's an issue that hadn't been debated. But okay, assuming that, what does it mean? It means the prevailing party and their programs are likely to continue because the opposition is not gonna strengthen, it's gonna weaken mathematically at the congressional district level. If that happens, then, and the stock market wobbles, okay, put that in there, where there's a, a sense of fear and apprehension on the part of laborers who, you know, I'll just keep taking that money. As long as it's being offered, I'll take it. Uh, that's more secure to them than the iffiness of a job. So it's a cycle. And the question is, will it continue? And the variables are one, the stock market, and two, what is the political horizon now, really, mathematically speaking? If you go back and look at all the congressional elections, which the GOP won in the last election, find the ones that they only won by, let's say, three or four or five percent and circle them in the iffy districts. OK, and then factor in that probably a double digit, low double digit percent of the GOP is not going to come out and vote for them this time simply because they can't take it anymore. They're like the, you know, they're, they're not Trumpers. And if that occurs, then that's going to be a political surprise waiting down the road as well. Not just a market surprise, but a political surprise, which means the policies we see now that we think are temporary may not be temporary. So we're talking a societal revolution, not just a monetary revolution. Uh, yeah, it could, it could persist. So the policies that went into effect, we think, oh, they're just related to the virus. Yeah, right. Uh, think twice. Your website is olivermsa.com. Before you leave, you've been generous with your time. What can listeners find there? Well, you can find some sample reports. Also, simply send us an email and we request some samples. We'll send them to you. Uh, you see a column there on that site called Method. You click on it, you can read various articles about our methodology. You know, what are we thinking when we do momentum and so forth? What are we looking at? Why do we do it? Um, and so it, it's pretty good background of what we do and why we do it. And uh, might be of interest. Excellent. All right. Well, Michael, thank you for your time today and for sharing your insights. Thank you, Bill.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.